0: I'm glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devon Neal. Genesis chapter 37, if you would then. If you're already there, would you stand with me this morning? We'll go ahead and read our text and then have a word of prayer to ask blessing on the message. What we'll do while we're standing, there's going to be some more text I need to read. We just want to stand to show honor for the Word of God. So we'll initially read some verses here in Genesis 37. We'll close in prayer, and then I have to read some more to you after that to introduce the message. But let's begin now in verse 1 of Genesis 37. You follow along if you would. If you have your Bible, if not, listen along. Beginning verse 1. And Jacob dwelt in the land wherein his father was a stranger, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brethren, and the lad was with the sons of Bilhah, and with the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought unto his father their evil report. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children, because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw that their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. And he said unto them, Here I pray you, this dream which I have dreamed, for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf arose and also stood upright. And behold, your sheaves stood round about and made obeisance to my sheaf. And his brethren said to him, Shalt thou indeed reign over us? Or shalt thou indeed have dominion over us? And they hated him yet the more, for his dreams And for his words, move on down, if you would, to verse 18, just for time's sake. We'll pick up reading there and read on down to the end of the chapter. Speaking of Joseph's brethren, it says, And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him and cast him into some pit. And we will say, Some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands, to deliver him to his father again. And it came to pass, when Joseph was come unto his brethren, that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty. There was no water in it, and they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up their eyes, and... Looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh, and his brethren were content. Then there passed by Midianites, merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit. "...and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for twenty pieces of silver, and they brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes. And he returned unto his brethren, and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? And they took Joseph's coat, and killed a kid of the goats, and dipped the coat in the blood, and they sent the coat of many colors. And they brought it to their father, and said, This have we found, know now whether it be thy son's coat or no." And he knew it and said, It is my son's coat. An evil beast hath devoured him. Joseph is without doubt rent in pieces. And Jacob rent his clothes and put sackcloth upon his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted. And he said, For I will go down into the grave unto my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. And the Midianites sold him into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and captain of the guard. Thank you. You may be seated. I'm assuming most of us are very familiar with this account. Uh, if you are lacking some familiarity, we'll try to fill in some gaps. What I want to do with the Lord's help this morning, though, is take us from here in Genesis 37 and walk us through just for a few minutes. I want to take some time to to bring us from where we are in Genesis 37 where Joseph's brethren sinned against him and selling him uh, to the Ishmaelites who sold him to to Potiphar in Egypt. And get us uh, all the way through to Genesis chapter 50, without reading all those chapters, but take us through the chronology of what took place. And in Genesis 50, what we'll find is after their father Jacob has died, the, the sons of Jacob come back to Joseph, who is at this point now, he's the the premier, if you would, he's in Egypt as a ruler. He is next, highest in authority over all the land, and they're begging his forgiveness. And the, the picture is this. We'll see in Genesis 45, Joseph had already forgiven them. He'd already explained to them that his heart was not hard against them. Once he saw they were repentant toward God and toward him, uh, he, he forgave them and had the power to execute them. He had the power to punish them. But instead of using his power to destroy them, he used his power to save them from a famine. He's used his power to shepherd them. And in all of this, between Genesis 37 and Genesis 50, we have Joseph established as a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. We say type, he's a human being, but the circumstances and the character in his life so mirror that of the Lord Jesus Christ that he becomes an Old Testament portrait or picture of Christ so that we, by faith, can look at that and say God was already... ...foretelling and giving portraits of what the Messiah would look like... ...through the account and the story of Joseph. An entire man's life would be a picture of what Christ would do. May I say this? Today, now that Christ has come and died and risen again... ...our lives today are supposed to be types of Christ. We're not Him, but we are supposed to magnify Him... ...and we do so by living the same way Joseph did. Joseph was a sinner saved by grace, just like you and I. He was not a sinless man... He was a sinful man, though he's a blameless man, no doubt in Scripture. And his life is a picture of Christ, as ours can be. There's many applications we could see here. But before I give you the chronology, let me just establish, if we may, from Scripture, why we would call Joseph, he's one of the most clear-cut types of Christ in Scripture, why we would call him a type of Christ. If you were listening closely, as we read portions of Genesis 37 A number of things you know about the Lord Jesus Christ may have caught your attention. By the way, we need to read our Bibles this way. We would be familiar enough with our Bibles that we can say, that sounds like that. I mean, realize the similarity between what took place with Joseph and what took place with the Lord Jesus. By the way, it is Stephen in Acts chapter 7 who would refer to Joseph as a foreshadow of Jesus Christ. That just as Joseph's brethren envied him, the Lord's brethren envied him. His Jewish brethren envied him, hated him, and so forth. So five different ways throughout the account of Genesis or five different aspects of Joseph's life can show us that Joseph is a type of Jesus Christ. And this is important for where we're going. Number one, he's a type of Christ as a son. We are introduced to Joseph in Genesis 37 simply as a son. He's 17 years old. That's a a young man, Hunter, about to be 17, right? A couple of other 17-year-olds in here. Joseph as a 17-year-old was faithful is the one boy that Jacob had that he knew he could count on. Joseph was faithful to his father's interests. Sound familiar? He did always the things that pleased his father. The other boys didn't. The other 11, the other 10 rather that were older than him, for lack of a better term, were stinkers. (laughs) They were rotten to the core. They were wicked men. Joseph brought their evil report. Joseph had good communion with his dad, good fellowship with his dad. His dad could trust him to check the sheep, and he had the favor of his dad. And the token of that favor was that coat. And that coat was as if Jacob was saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Which is what our heavenly father said of the Lord Jesus Christ, both at his baptism and on the Mount of Transfiguration. So as a son who is faithful and favored by his dad, Joseph is a picture and a type of Jesus Christ. Not only in his faithfulness and his favor from his dad, but in the hatred he received from his brethren that we already mentioned. We know that even as Joseph was thrown in a pit, our Savior was put in the grave. And so he pictures the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in John 1, verse 11, He came into his own, and his own received him not. His own kindred, his own family, he was without honor in his own country, not because he's not honorable, but because the men of his own country were dishonorable and disbelieving. And so even as Joseph's brethren hated him, and they sold him for pieces of silver... They sold him to Gentiles. They sold Joseph for 20 pieces, showing us he's not Christ. Though Joseph is of tremendous value in his character, not as high as Christ, Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver, Joseph for 20, but the type is still there, that he was sold to the Gentiles, saying, Well, don't let our hands be on him. Let the Gentiles do the dirty work. Is that not what took place when Judas Iscariot? Sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver? And then the, the high priest went and sold him out to the Gentile king named uh, Pilate and said, you, you condemn him to death. And it was a Gentile king who said, all right, crucify him. You do the dirty work. We're not going to. And so all of that is pictorial of Jesus Christ and how he would come to this earth and die for our sins. As a son, he was despised of his brethren, rejected of his brethren, and in essence killed of his own brethren in essence, okay? And so, as a son. Number two, Joseph is a type of Christ as a servant. He's already got a servant's heart, you can see in Genesis 37. But if you pick up in the chronology in Genesis 39, you find Joseph in Potiphar's house as a slave. He's a servant now in Egypt. Egypt, a type of the world. Even as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says he thought it not robbery, in Philippians chapter 2, to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, being found in likeness as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Once we get into Genesis 39, Genesis 40, into Genesis 41, Joseph's role is that of a servant and a slave. He is a servant in Potiphar's house where he is falsely accused of an immoral act with Potiphar's wife. He is then put in prison, falsely accused, and he spends a number of years there. How many of us realize from the time he was sold to the Ishmaelites to the time he leaves prison is 13 years? He's 30 years old when he ascends the throne under, under Pharaoh. So 13 years of being nothing but a servant to Gentile people as a Jewish, a faithful Jewish young boy, a good young man. And yet in the prison, one of the things that's pointed out about Joseph is that he served his fellow prisoners. He served them. You realize that he will one day be their king and he's serving them. Sound familiar? So it's a faithful aspect of his life from Genesis 37, 29 on through, and then Genesis 39, 1, all the way through chapter 41, verse 37. Joseph is seen as a servant in Potiphar's house, a servant in prison, simply using his resources to bless and benefit those he is serving. Even as our Lord and Savior came to this earth, took upon him the form of a servant, used the resources of heaven to serve men in the prison of earth. In our prison of sin, he came and served us through his own righteousness. And then we see him, starting in chapter 41, verse 38, as a sovereign. Joseph goes from being in prison to being set on a throne. Now he's a sovereign. He is a supreme ruler in Egypt. The only person in Egypt that has more power than him is Pharaoh. Now, I believe it was Abraham Lincoln said, if you want to know a man's character, give him power. Give a man power and you'll find out what he's made of. And that's true. It's one thing to be a servant when you're in prison. It's another when you're the supreme ruler of the land. Are you now going to use all your power and resources to bless people or use people? Joseph as a sovereign was as faithful as he was as a slave. This is why he's a type of Christ. The word that I associate with the character Joseph is integrity whether you find him as a 17-year-old boy or you find him as a 29-year-old man in prison or a 30-year-old man on the throne or a 55-year-old man forgiving his brethren, he's the same. His character never changed. Once he's on the throne, his appearance changed. He gets his own chariot. He gets a gold chain to show that he is royalty. He gets, his, he gets a, a wife hand-selected for him, a Gentile wife, another picture of Christ in the church, how he was given a Gentile wife to be his wife. And yet, as a sovereign, yet again, Joseph used his power to save the very brethren that threw him in the pit. He used his power and the management of Egypt's resources to rescue men who hated his guts Now, how many of us would do that if we were given power? If I were elected today, let's just go ahead and tell you what we would start doing. Let's start executing some people, right? (laughs) And Joseph could have. He had the opportunity numerous times to imprison his brothers for life. And instead, he worked and used his power to bring his brothers to repentance. When they first showed up, they were hiding their sin. By the time they were done, they were confessing their sin. And had received forgiveness for their sin against Joseph. And so he is seen as a type of Christ, as a son, as a servant, as a sovereign. And he would not, re- he would never, when Joseph dies, he dies as a sovereign. Amen. And so when he fades off the scene, he does so as a type of the Savior in his ruling over Egypt. Fourthly, we see him as a type of the Lord as a Savior. He used his sovereign power to save people from famine. There was a famine in the land, and Joseph used his wisdom, he used his authority to rescue people's lives, both in Egypt and in the land of Canaan. And so he is a tremendous picture of Christ in his role and capacity as a Savior. He used his authority and power and resources to save the lives of men, including his enemies. And fifthly, we see him as a shepherd. Beginning in Genesis 45, verse 9, all the way through the end of the chapter, he is managing and directing his father and brethren. He sends for his father. He sends wagons and he leads them and guides them from the land of famine to the land of plenty in Egypt where the famine is there but they have plenty of food. He tells them to settle in Goshen. So he's not only saved their lives, now he's shepherding their lives. He's telling them where to live, how to settle. And why? Because he wants to show them I'm in charge. Because he knew best how to care for them. And as they submitted to his authority and followed his leadership, they not only had life, they had abundant life. Joseph is a tremendous type of Christ as a son, as a servant, as a sovereign, as a savior, and as a shepherd. He fulfilled all of those roles, and we see that in Genesis 37 through 50. Having said that, I want you to turn with me, if you would, to Genesis 45. So We've already walked through a little bit of the chronology. In Genesis 39, he's in Potiphar's house. Genesis 40 and 41, he's in prison. But in Genesis 41, in the end of that chapter, Joseph, if you remember correctly, interprets some of... of Uh, pharaoh's dreams and pharaoh promotes him because joseph tells him seven years of plenty are coming and then seven years of famine and if you don't manage the seven years of plenty everybody's going to starve during the seven years of famine and joseph's advice to pharaoh was get a discreet man a man with wisdom to manage the years of plenty and then you'll survive the years of famine and pharaoh basically says who can we find that's more wise than this guy who's got the spirit of god joseph you're going to be next to me on the throne That's chapter 41. Chapter 42, Joseph's brethren show up and he recognizes them, but they don't recognize him. Now, does that sound familiar? How many of you know Jesus Christ saw you more clearly before you saw him clearly? He saw you who had sinned against him very clearly before you could see clearly who he was. The Lord Jesus Christ is working in your life. People say, I'm a seeker. No, Christ is the seeker. Luke 19, 10, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. I'll give you a New Testament example of that. The Lord Jesus came into Jericho one day, and there was a man who had climbed a tree thought he was seeking Jesus. But Jesus said, The Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. When Jesus walked to the base of the tree, he called Zacchaeus by name, never having met him, because he came into that town to find him and save him. Not against Zacchaeus' will, but according to God's will. When Zacchaeus submitted his will to God's, God saved him, called him down from that tree, came and dwelt in his house that day. Even so here, Genesis 42, Joseph recognizes his brethren, but they don't recognize him. Do you remember in Genesis 37, they said, one of the last things they said is, shall he reign over us indeed? And the answer is yes, he shall. Genesis 42, they bowed down to him for the first time. It would be the first of many times that his brethren would come and fall on their face in front of him, begging for him to help them. Little did they know when they mocked him as a 17-year-old boy, one day he would reign over them, and have power to destroy them if he so chose. That's Genesis 42. 43, the brothers go back home and then return with the younger brother Benjamin at at Joseph's command. Chapter 44, he sets a trap to bring them back to Egypt in order to continue to work to bring them and reveal whether they were repentant over what they had done. May I say this? The Lord Jesus Christ works in lives of people to bring you to repentance because he cannot bless you until you do repent toward him. Repentance is not an evil thing. It's a glorious thing. Repentance is believing God enough that I agree with Him about me. I can see me as a sinner the way God does. Joseph skillfully, for those of you who went through the series of messages, you'll remember how skillfully he worked with those boys to bring their sin in front of their face to make them face what they had done, to make them see how evil they had been because Joseph ultimately desired to forgive them and bless them. But you cannot have forgiveness without repentance. You don't have forgiveness if you think you did nothing wrong. Uh, I met a man yesterday and it was, well, there's some people that aren't religious, but they're ultimately not bad people. They're not bad people. I said, you know the truth is every one of us is bad enough. We all deserve to go to hell. He, he, he agreed with that, but you could still tell, but I don't, you know, I'm not a terribly bad guy. May I say this, perhaps this morning, this is perhaps, I don't know hearts, there's someone here and the Lord is working to bring things before your face to help you see that you have personally offended him. How many of us know that disobedience toward God is an offense to God? It grieves God; it is against Him, and until we can see, we have personally offended God through disobedience to His will, We'll not be set to receive the forgiveness if we think we don't need it. Many times people say i don't you know I think if one of the things fella said to us yesterday was, well, the good thing is you know god God sees in your heart, I said that's the scary part that's not a good thing that's a bad thing for us because He does see the heart, and the heart is deceitful above all things, and desperately wicked who can know it only God does and he knows us far better than we do my point about Joseph and his brethren is all through these chapters he's working till at the end of chapter 44 Joseph is threatening to take Benjamin and imprison him Judah the very man that said we'll sell Joseph get money for him steps forward and says keep me send Benjamin back we cannot bear to break our father's heart I would rather stay here in prison forever than repeat my sin again And it reveals there's repentance. Chapter 45. Are you there in your Bibles? Let's read chapter 45, verse 1. I told you the introduction is the longest part of this this morning, so bear with me. Chapter 45, verse 1. Then Joseph could not refrain himself before all them that stood by him. And he cried, Cause every man to go out from me. And there stood no man with him, while Joseph made himself known unto his brethren. And he wept aloud, and the Egyptians and the house of Pharaoh heard, and Joseph said unto his brethren, I am Joseph. Doth my father yet live? And his brethren could not answer him, for they were troubled at his presence. We call that guilt. (laughs) Verse 4, And Joseph said unto his brethren, Come near to me, I pray you. And they came near, and he said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom ye sold into Egypt. I'm sure that made him feel better. (laughs) Verse 5, Now therefore be not grieved, nor angry with yourselves that ye sold me hither. For God did send me before you to preserve life, for these two years hath the famine been in the land, and yet there are five years in the which there shall be there shall neither be earing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve you a posterity in the earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So now it was not you that sent me hither, but God. He hath made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and a ruler throughout all the land of Egypt. Haste ye and go up to my father and say unto him, Thus saith thy son Joseph, God hath made me lord of all Egypt. Come down unto me, tarry not, and thou shalt dwell in the land of Goshen, and thou shalt be near unto me, thou and thy children, and thy children's children, and thy flocks, and thy herds, and all that thou hast. And There will I nourish thee, for yet there are five years of famine, lest thou and thy household, and all that thou hast come to poverty. Behold, your eyes see in the eyes of my brother Benjamin, that it is my mouth that speaketh unto you. And ye shall tell my father of all my glory in Egypt and of all that ye have seen. And ye shall haste and bring down my father hither. And he fell upon his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept upon his neck. Moreover, he kissed all his brethren and wept upon them. And after that, his brethren talked with him. We read in chapter 37 of all they did to him. Now, They not only conspired against him, caught him, threw him in a pit, stripped off the very coat that was the token of his father's affection and favor, lied to their dad, led him to believe. How many of us realize 22 years now Joseph has not seen his his father? His mother died while he was in Egypt and he would never see her again. 22 years of his life these men stole from him. Uh, they cost him his relationship with his family they caused him to serve as a slave for 13 years of those 22 years in a pit unknown, unseen treated like the scum of the earth that's what his brothers did to him how many people today are carrying a load of bitterness because we've been treated somewhat similar say you know I'm not forgetting what so and so did to me you know Joseph didn't forget either but he did forgive he said you sold me into Egypt he didn't forget, did he forget but he chose to treat them as though it never happened. Now I may mean, I say this: Once they were repentant, <laughs> once they saw their sin the same way he saw it, then they could commune with one another. And he is expressing them. It's very important. To read in chapter 45. He is expressing to them, "You're forgiven." Now, if you heard, if you were Joseph's brethren and you heard him say. All the things we just heard him say. Don't be angry with yourselves. God had a plan in this. He sent me down here. Don't think for a moment God is all about people beating up their brethren, but God can overcome the sins of man. God sent me before you to preserve life. I'm not bitter at you. I want to bless you. May I say this? When God Almighty gets a hold of your heart and shows us how grievous our sins against Him is, may I say this? To ignore the Lord Jesus Christ is in and of itself a sin. To treat him like he is a fairy tale is a grievous sin. To not, to not repent toward him, to not trust his every word is a sin called unbelief. Every one of us have sinned against the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us. How many of us are rendering to him today what he's deserving of? And if we can ever see how grievous we have treated the Lord Jesus. He died for us. He gave his life for us. And how have we treated him? And if we can ever see, I have treated the Son of God horridly. Do you know that's why Peter went out and wept bitterly one night? When asked, Aren't you one of his? He said, No. He treated Jesus like he didn't even know him. Why? Because he was ashamed and afraid. And my point is this every one of us have personal trespasses against our Savior. Everyone. And it is when we can see those trespasses and see how grievous they are that we understand the seriousness of of guilt that is upon us. But you know what Joseph did in chapter 45? He sought to lift their guilt and say, God overcame what you did to me. And I am willing to impart to you not only forgiveness, I desire to nourish you. I want to save you. If you're these brethren, should you ever again think, I wonder if Joseph hates us. Had he not assured them that he had forgiven them? And the heart of this morning's message is assurance of salvation as much as it is the way of salvation. You may be here today and you say, I know, I know that the Bible says that if I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I'll be saved. But do you realize how wicked I've been? Now, if that's not where you're at this morning, may God help you come to repentance. May God help us see ourselves in the light of God's word. But you have to understand, Joseph's brethren were repentant. They not only remorseful, not only regretful, they could see they deserved they they were deserving that Joseph should execute them. We see that turn to chapter fifty. You get the idea that what they thought was Joseph is being nice to us as long as Dad is alive. But as soon as Dad is dead, we are in trouble. You know what that tells me? while they were repentant, they were not resting in Joseph's goodness like they should. They obviously didn't know Joseph as well as God knew Joseph. Had they known Joseph as well as they should, they would have never worried that he might recant of his forgiveness. So once Jacob is dead, chapter 50, verse 15, the Bible says, And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, when Joseph's brethren saw their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. You know what they're saying? He's going to take just vengeance on us. He has the power to do so. Do you realize the power of life and death for those men were in Joseph's hand. If he said to Pharaoh, you know what, those brothers of mine, now that dad is dead, I want to to tell you all that they did to me. One day when I came out to check on them in the field, they were being naughty, and they knew I'd tattle on them. And they hated me. I was having dreams from God. Pharaoh, you're familiar with my ability to know dreams. And I had I dreamed that one day where I'm at right now I would be and they would bow to me and they hated me for that and they, they kidnapped me and they threw me in a pit and they stripped my colt and they put blood on it and let my dad believe that I'd been eaten of a beast and they sold me and that's how I ended up in Egypt. And now that I'm the king, you better believe I'm going to get them. I've just been waiting for dad to pass so I could deal with him like I need to. Answer your question, would he have been just? Would it have been just for Joseph to use his authority to bring those men in and say, I know that you intended to kill me by what you did, so now reap what you sow. But instead, Joseph had the heart of our Savior in him. He had a heart not to destroy, but to save life. Not to destroy it. And upon their desire for forgiveness, he had granted it, and it wasn't pretentious, it was genuine. So verse 15, And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us, and will certainly requite us all the evil which we did unto him. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph. Meaning, Jacob had told them, When I'm dead, you go say this to Joseph. You need to communicate this to him. Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren, and their sin, for they did unto the evil. Then notice there's a a colon, and they say, and now we pray thee. Meaning, we're not just repeating what Dad said, this is from us. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, what's the first two words? Fear not, for I am the place of God. This is a distinction between Jesus and Joseph. Jesus is in the place of God. Joseph was not. But as for you, ye thought evil against me. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass, as it is this day, to save much people alive. Now therefore, fear ye not. I will nourish you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spake kindly unto them. You know what Joseph is doing? He is reiterating what he told them in chapter 45. He's already told them he forgives them. He's already told them he wants to nourish them. He's already told them he wants to bless them. They just didn't believe it fully. I believe they are thinking like you and I think. But if I had had done to me what we did to him and I was in his place, I know what I would want to do to me. That tells you they were repentant. They understood what they deserved. How many of you has it resonated in your conscience? I have not only sinned in general. But there are times I have despised, not just gotten frustrated, there are times I have despised the instruction of Scripture. There are times the way of godliness has been so deplorable to me, I've mocked it and made fun of it. You think about how Joseph's brethren treated him. He's the one man in the house that was spiritual. Ask him, have you ever mocked a spiritual person? Then you mock Jesus Christ. Have you ever mocked a disciple of Christ? Someone who is seriously serving the Lord? It's a mockery of the Savior. Have we ever dismissed what He had to say thinking, you know what, I don't, I really don't care. That's against Him. He made it clear. We give a cup of water in His name. It says done unto Him. If we don't listen to His disciples, it says unto Him. Have we ever personally treated Jesus Christ horribly? I have. I have. I was raised familiar with it. Raised knowing the truth. Believed on my Savior early. And I I know He saved me. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm not saved today because I am deserving to be saved. He gave me what I deserved. He had thrown me out a long time ago. Solely. If I never treated another human being badly, solely based on how I've treated Him. Personally, between He and I. You say, I can't imagine treating Him that way. Pray for God to wake you up. You see, the fact of the matter is, when we when we disparage or dismiss or, or have that same attitude those brethren had toward Joseph, oh, here comes that dreamer. Ooh, here comes Mr. Holier-than-thou. Ooh, the Bible again. Ooh, hey, that's wicked. And I believe when God opens our eyes to it and we realize Jesus Christ is no longer a slave in a tomb, but He's a sovereign on a throne. It ought to strike fear in us down to our boots to say he has the power today to cast me into hell. But the fact that he hasn't is his mercy and grace. Now let's look at just a few things here in Genesis 50. Now I'm telling you, the introduction is the heart the length of it. Let's get to the heart of it here in Genesis 15. This interaction between these men, Joseph's brethren and Joseph, that we need to see the way they responded to him is the way we need to respond to the Son of God the one who came down and became a servant for us, the one who is sovereign and on his throne today. He is high and lifted up. He has been exalted to the heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Do we realize today, John 15, 5, without him we can do nothing. With a word, Jesus Christ can end the things on earth as they are. He's on the throne. And with a word, he could end my life if he so chose. He He is king of kings and Lord of lords. Not who he was, it's not who he's going to be, it's who he is. And so then, these brethren responded even as we should. And perhaps you find yourself in a similar position with them this morning. I really believe this is exactly where the Lord's led today. And this message, I hope, will be helpful to someone who, through the word of God, you know Christ has promised you forgiveness of sins, but you may not be resting in that by faith. And so let's look at these men again. Four things about these men. Number one, the acknowledgement of them. The acknowledgement of Joseph's brethren. Verse 15. And when Joseph's brethren saw that their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us and will certainly requite us all the evil we did unto him. There's a number of things they acknowledge in this, but I want you to see basically two. Number one, they acknowledge their own sinfulness. Not just their own sin, but their own sinfulness. It says, when Joseph's brethren saw their father was dead, they said, Joseph will peradventure hate us. Why? Why would he hate them? Well, it's explained what they acknowledge in verse 17. Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren. They call what they did to Joseph a trespass, meaning they treated him sinfully. Joseph's brethren, if you said, you guys are sinful, you know what they would have said? (laughs) That's breaking news. Tell us something we don't know. Genesis 38, you find the account of Judah. And Judah's wife has died, and he commits an extremely immoral act. Judah is a, is, is a rotten character. He is the one who comes up with the idea of selling Joseph. Reuben is so cowardly. He's like a, a unstable as water. He comes back to rescue his brother, but is too scared as the firstborn to stand up and say, No, if you're going to throw him in the pit, you're going to do it over my dead body. No, he is a compromiser. Simeon and Levi are murderers, as we saw last week. In Shechem, they killed an entire city of men to take vengeance. These are a rotten lot of young men. But if you told them that, you know what they'd tell you? You know it. I know I'm rotten. If you want to know how rotten I are, read those chapters in between. They are saying, God is certainly repaying us for what we did. We saw Joseph in the pit and wouldn't pull him out. We threw him there. God saw it, and now we're getting what we've got coming. It's called guilt. Man, can I say something this morning? Guilt is only bad when it has continued to be held once you've been pardoned by God. But guilt is a tool that is ingrained in us to help us understand that we have offended a holy God and we need His forgiveness. We have a culture today that says guilt is bad. No, guilt is intended, if it's godly sorrow, to bring us to repentance so we can turn to Christ and receive what He died to give us. And that is true and final and full forgiveness of our sins against Him. For the acknowledgement of these men—they knew their guilt tells us they knew how horrible what they had done was. They knew they were worthy of death. Romans six twenty three, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. People say, I just we, we we I understand there are different levels of sin in the eyes of men, but any sin makes us unfit for God. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And these men said, we know if Joseph gives us what we deserve, he's going to requite us. That's a justice term. It's a term of justice, meaning he's going to repay us what we've done. We've done this and we're going to be repaid. How many are you glad that God has not repaid you, requited you for how you have conducted yourself? I don't want to have a lift of hands, but how many of you have ever taking God's name in vain at least once. How many have ever told at least one lie? Ask something Is a lie heavenly or satanic? Satan is the father of lies. If I have lied, I have committed a satanic act. Say No, everybody lies. That doesn't make it any less satanic. It's devilish and deserving of the lake of fire. These men acknowledge their own sinfulness. Number two, they acknowledge Joseph's supremacy. They realized Joseph had the power to requite them. It wasn't only that they deserved his, his vengeance, they realized he had the power to hand it out. One of the things we're missing in our world today, including in our churches, is the fear of God. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy is, the understand, is understanding. Do we understand today how often the long suffering of God is misrepresented? We are experiencing in America today the long-suffering of God. Right now, we're experiencing the long-suffering of God. Some would say, well, God's not judging. He must not care. (laughs) Number one, we are being judged. Don't miss it. We are under judgment. No doubt about it. But number two, the Lord is not slack concerning His promises. Some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. 2 Peter 3, 9 we must understand today, Jesus Christ, if you read the book of Revelation, with the Lord's help in the very near future, I intend to go begin a Bible study in the book of Revelation, uh, probably on Thursday nights, uh, still praying about that. My point is this, you look and read and study the book of Revelation, you realize one thing, Jesus Christ is supreme. And When it's done, He's ruling with a rod of iron. He has the power to requite us for our sins if He would. But He's merciful and He's long-suffering. So the acknowledging of these men, they knew their own sinfulness and their own guilt. Therefore, they also acknowledge Joseph has the power to requite us if he chooses to. We must acknowledge the same thing. Not only our own sinfulness, but Christ's supremacy and his authority and his right and his power to send retribution on those who sin. Number two, we see the appeal of these men in verses 16 and 17. Because they acknowledge their guilt and Joseph's supremacy, They knew they only had one recourse. There's no way we can prove to Joseph we're good men. They tried that, remember? And Joseph proved to them, no, you're still rotten men. You're not good men. So the only recourse they had would be to ask for forgiveness. Forgiveness is based in mercy, meaning I am willing to withhold from you what you deserve, not because you're good, but because I'm willing to be. I am willing to treat you As though you never transgressed against me, though we both know you did. And I'm willing to simply because you desire to be forgiven of the wrong you've done. You know what? Every person, salvation is receiving forgiveness from God through Jesus Christ. That's what it is. So the appeal of these men is this, verse 16. And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall you say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now the trespass of thy brethren. I want you to notice how they conditioned this this request. They said, Joseph, they understood Joseph had an obedient heart. So they said, we are appealing to you for forgiveness in obedience to Jacob. Our dad commanded us before he died to seek your forgiveness, and we are coming to you obedient to him. How many of us know how old these boys are at this point? Joseph is the 11th born, and he's somewhere around 55 years old right here. We are talking about men who are probably 70 years old saying, I'm obeying Dad. You know how we come to Jesus Christ seeking pardon? In obedience to the Father. He says, he says, by Jesus Christ, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know what God the Father says? If you want to come to me, you must come through Jesus Christ, my son. And you must come to Christ with an obedient heart. That's why it's called obeying the gospel. You cannot say, well, who is God to tell me how to be saved? You can't be saved like that. Acts 4.12 says, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. And I didn't say offering him an obedient life. These men couldn't offer that. What they're saying is, we are coming to you with a submitted heart, Joseph. We understood all those years ago when we treated you badly, it was because you were obedient to dad while we were being disobedient. But we want you to know we share your heart. Obeying dad was the right thing. We were wrong. It's called repentance. Joseph, you were right to obey him. We were wrong. We are coming to you with an obedient heart of reverence for our dad. May I say this? The gospel is God's provision for salvation, but it must be submitted to. God now commandeth. Acts chapter 17, verse 30. uh, In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. You know why men won't repent? Because they're rebels. That's it. when I say God is right when God says telling lies is wicked he's right and I deserve hell for it when God says that slandering is wicked he's right when God says fornication is wicked he's right when God says drinking and drunkenness is sin he's right and I deserve his judgment but Lord Jesus I'm coming to you with an obedient heart I'm the one that's been wrong not the father he's right I'm wrong that's the heart you hear from these men Dad told us to come to you, Joseph, and ask your forgiveness. And as grown men, we're obeying our dead daddy. You know what that takes? Tell me the one attribute of spirit that takes. Humility. What you see in these men is what was missing when they were were young men. They weren't humble. They were proud as peacocks. Who do you think you are? You think we're going to bow to you, the youngest of the clan? Ooh, you think you're special because Rachel's your mama. (laughs) Can't you hear it? What an arrogant, arrogant lot of boys. You know what I love about this story, though? God can change people. Judah, the wicked Judah, by the end of his life, is the kind of character you'd want any one of your children to be like. Honest, humble, accepting responsibility, submitted to God. Here these boys come. The condition they come with is a submitted heart. And, of course, that tells us of the contrition that they had. In Psalm 51, we don't have time to read it, but you find David's confession to God of his sin with Bathsheba, and he says in Psalm 51, verse 15 or verse 17. And we'll read it to you quickly. We're, we're nearing conclusion here. Psalm 51, just a few moments, a few more minutes. Psalm 51, verse 17. He says, David says in his confession to God, "The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, Thou wilt not despise." Isaiah chapter 57. Verse 15, Isaiah 57, verse 15, says this. Contrite, you say, what is it? It's the attitude these young men, these older men, came to their brother with, sending a messenger saying, Dad told us to come, and now we're doing exactly what he said. Isaiah 57:15. For thus saith the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit, To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. We find the contrition in these men. They are broken over what they've done. Joseph, we know you have the authority to destroy us. Now that dad is gone, we wouldn't blame you if you did and we're concerned you may, but we are not approaching you because we've reformed ourselves. We are reproaching you, asking you, or approaching you, asking for mercy. So they acknowledge their sinfulness and his supremacy. They appeal to him, and the condition of that appeal is a submitted heart to their father with a contrite spirit recognizing Joseph's authority. He's high and lifted up, and they're humble. But then listen how Joseph responds. I love this. Back, if you would, to Genesis chapter 50. It says in verse 16, And they sent a messenger unto Joseph, saying, Thy father did command before he died, saying, So shall ye say unto Joseph, Forgive, I pray thee now, the trespass of thy brethren and their sins, for they did unto thee evil. And now we pray thee, forgive the trespass of the servants of the God of thy father. And Joseph wept when they spake unto him. They are appealing to the word of their father. We come to Jesus through the word of the father, do we not? Lord Jesus, I'm coming to you because God the father said to. He said, him that cometh to you, you will no wise cast out. And I'm coming because he said, and I need forgiveness. And do you think perhaps when we come that way, Christ weeps? Joseph wept. It melted his heart to hear their contrite spirit. You know what? The Bible says one thing in the Scripture, the Bible says, causes heaven to rejoice. Only one. Heaven does not rejoice when you and I get a pay raise. Never. God couldn't care less about money other than it's used for eternal purposes. The things that men highly treasure are an abomination to God, Luke 16 says, and that's in concept of the context of money. God does not rejoice when we get pay raises. He doesn't rejoice, I don't believe, when a church builds a new building. I don't even think he rejoices. We break some kind of attendance record. No. But when one sinner does what? Repents. When one sinner does like that prodigal and says, Dad's good, I'm bad. Dad was right and I was wrong. Dad is faithful and I'm not. And all I can do is go fall on his neck and ask for forgiveness. Fall at his feet and ask for his forgiveness. When one sinner gets that agreement with God by faith, and confidence in the goodness and righteousness of God. And appeals to him for mercy. The Bible says there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. And I find Joseph weeping. Oh, brothers, I, I, I can just hear it. I already told you. I love you. If I didn't love you, I wouldn't have done all this for you. All oh, that we might grasp. I don't believe this. I don't believe you can grasp the mercy of God until you grasp the goodness and the severity of of God, the Bible talks about, oh, the goodness and the severity of God. How can you and I grasp how deep his mercy is until we see how high his justice is? Then we realize how merciful he's been to pardon us for what we really deserve. These boys send a messenger, and when Joseph hears it, it weeps, it melts his heart. Then we see in verse 18 the affirmation of these men. The Bible says, and his brethren also went... So now they're they're not speaking by messenger. They're drawing near. You know what contrition will do? It'll get you near the Savior. It'll draw you near. And his brethren also went and fell down before his face, and they said, Behold, we be thy servants. Can I ask you this this morning? If you've received the kind of pardon they received, isn't this the only appropriate response? Do you know why some people are not serving Christ today like they should? You've not yet estimated how great his pardon is. When you and I can estimate how high the pardon of God, how great the pardon of God, and how great his authority, all we can do is say, we are at your mercy. Do with us whatever you choose. When they say, we be thy servants, you know what they're exercising? Faith. They are presenting themselves to Joseph and they are doing a few things. Number one, They are affirming to Joseph, we affirm you have the right to rule over us. Do you remember what they said in Genesis 37? Shall you indeed rule over us? You know what they're saying in Genesis chapter 50? Joseph, you shall indeed rule over us. Have you ever had this attitude toward the word of God and toward the one who who ruled it? (laughs) Is he really going to tell me how to live my life? Have you yet said, yes, Lord, you died for me. I deserve hell. And yet you suffered that I might live. Hadn't Joseph suffered that his brethren might live? Then shouldn't we just come to him and say, we be thy servants? What Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. May I say this morning? May may you ask the Lord right now in this message to help you have clarity of conscience and say, Lord, do you know right now that I am your servant? Meaning, I am acknowledging you have the right to do with me whatever you choose. Based on how I've treated you, you do whatever you choose with me. I am falling on your mercy. Why would we not do that? Well, maybe because we still want to throw him in a pit. Or maybe we just do not realize how trustworthy he is. We're not trusting him like we should. You know what Joseph's brethren said? He's on the throne. He has the power. We deserve whatever he hands us. We'll just follow his mercy. They're recognizing his authority. They are expressing their own adoration. They are kneeling. You know what they know they're doing? Don't you know that Joseph's brethren are saying he was right? He said we would bow to him someday. You know what they're really saying? God was right. God said they would bow to him someday. And they went and said, we are in full compliance with God. We be thy servants. We are willing to fulfill the dream God gave you. We're your servants, Joseph. Do what you will. Now, friends, if Joseph was worthy to be bowed before by his brethren, how much our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Assurance of forgiveness from God will propel you into God's service. When you know that he has pardoned you and it's not because you're good, but because he is. It'll melt your heart. And you can say with Joseph's brethren, we be thy servants. They're acknowledging his author- affirming his authority. They're affirming their adoration for him and their availability to him. They're no longer speaking by a messenger. They are in front of him knowing, listen friend, knowing he has the power to remove their heads. They're willing to sit before him on their knees and say, we're here to do what you want. We're not going to try to do, get you to do what we want. We're here to do what you want. Now listen to me please this morning. If your version or mine of Christianity is any different than the attitude we're seeing expressed right here, you have a Christianity that's not founded in the Bible. I didn't say you're not saved. I'm saying if my concept of Christianity is something other than me acknowledging the authority of Jesus Christ and saying, I am available for you to use as you see fit because you suffered that I might live. That's what it means to be a servant of Christ. And so this morning we come to our final point, the, the assurance of these men. How does Joseph respond? I don't know. You and I might sit here and say, ho, oh, oh, ho, oh, oh. ho, I might say, I told you so. You boys remember? Remember my dreams? Do you remember what you said to me? Will you reign over us? Look at it. How do you like it now? Say it again. I beat You are my servants. Not anybody with a righteous heart. You know, Joseph says he gives, them, he gives them peace. He assures them of their pardon. And then he promises he'll provide for them. Look what he says. Uh, it says in verse 18, And his brethren also went and fell down before his face. And they said, Behold, we be thy servants. And Joseph said unto them, Fear not, for am I in the place of God. But as for you, ye thought evil against me. He doesn't, he doesn't change the truth. He said, You were trying to do evil to me. I know that. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive now therefore fear ye not I will nourish you and your little ones and he comforted them and spake kindly unto them I want to say something there are times that God through his word I mean the Bible comforts me because that old guilt starts rising back up I'm not performing. What the Lord does, He speaks kindly to me. And I'm being as honest as I know how. I'll think, I don't know why. Why would you be speaking kindly to me? This morning, does the goodness of God surprise you? We say, why would God let bad things happen to good people? Why would He let any good thing happen to any of us when we've treated Him so ill? This morning, Joseph did not respond by giving them what they deserved. He responded with grace. Meaning, he gave them what they didn't deserve. He gave them pardon. He gave them peace. And he promised, I will nourish you. Meaning, I'm not only not going to kill you, that's life. I'm going to feed you. That's abundant life. The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and destroy. But I am come that they might have life And they might have it more abundantly. The Bible tells us in Isaiah 53, that he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Meaning, literally, my sins and yours cost his stripes and suffering. So today, what constrains us to say, we be thy servants? As Paul said, the love of Christ constraineth us. For we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. Why should Christ take the time to work in your life and bring you under the preaching of His Word this morning? So He can condemn you or so He can save you? The Bible says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Christ is not in the business at this point right now. You know what He's doing? He's working to bring men to repentance, not that He might condemn them, but that He might spare their lives, spare you from hell, but not only spare your life, give you an abundant life, Do you know what my Savior does for me day by day? In a world filled with famine, He nourishes my soul. Does He have to? No, but I'm sure glad He does. Now my question for you this morning, have you ever come to your Savior this way? God told me if I don't come through you, I'm lost. Neither is there salvation any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Have you ever come to Christ because you knew that's what God requires? You can be saved no other way other than through the mercy of Jesus Christ that He gives you through His death. He died to pay for your sins. He lives to grant you a pardon. Have you ever come to the Lord Jesus like Joseph's brethren came to Him? They'd come to Him that way before. You may be this morning and say, I know that's what the Word of God says. Then rest in His promises and His goodness. He's not going to condemn you after He already pardoned you. Amen? Are we living according to what we've received? Are we returning the benefit that we have received. This morning, we've been pardoned for our sins. If you've been saved, if you're here this morning and you've never acknowledged, I've been wrong in disobeying God. I deserve hell, but Jesus Christ died for me, and I need I need forgiveness. Let me encourage you today. That's salvation. You say some of this is not clear. I've, I perceive God speaking to me. Can I encourage you to do this? We we'll have an invitation song that is so people can make right decisions. Encourage me to say, I want time to talk to somebody. If you'll just make your, nobody be looking around. If you'll make your way up here during the invitation say, I would like to talk to somebody sometime today. We'll schedule time to talk with you and make sure you understand what God is saying to you and how to respond to what he's saying. Amen. So you can receive salvation if you haven't. You may say, I think I have, but I'm just not sure. Then it's his word that will comfort you. Amen. If you're lost, it's his word that will convince you. But don't just keep mulling on it. Let somebody help you. That's what we're here for. Amen. Number two, if you're a Christian, you say, I know I'm pardoned. And I know what I deserve. Then am I saying to the Lord, I'm your servant. You're on the throne. I deserve hell. And you could give it to me if you chose, but you've been merciful. Do with me whatever you choose. That's called faith. Mm